Welcome to Afterthoughts, where I pursue the realities in Christianity through God's Word and different conversations. It is my confident belief that our views shape the way we live, so having views grounded in reality is super important. At the end of it all, it is my heart's deepest desire that you and myself would be seeking peace and joy in what Christ Jesus has done. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to the conversation and the podcast. I'm here with my good, good pal, Caleb Bulow, once again. Top of the evening. And, uh, yeah, and we're just rolling, just the two of us, kind of missing Jason and Tiana and Asa and all the rest of the others that we've had on. Um, feels kind of lonely up in here, if you know what I mean. Yeah, or maybe it seems a little lonely without them. That's what I'm saying. But, nevertheless, we push on. We continue. I have before me a stack of notes of ideas of what we could talk about today. Oh, I just kind of assumed we were going to continue on with what we had before. Oh, the oh, you mean to talk about glory? Right. Or what were you thinking? Nope, that's just what I was assuming. But if you want to go someplace else, I'm good with that. What particularly about it was like, was there something? No, sir. Yeah. This is your podcast. Um, I think you guys were just talking about what it takes to glorify God. Oh, yeah. Was that where the question was at? Yeah. Yeah, I guess we could start there. Why not? In light of the previous, our previous session, and we talked about all that. Uh, what, what, wait, what did we talk about? Like, could you like summarize it? Do you remember? Yeah, it was, um, it was talking about living a fulfilled life. Right. So we're, how do you, you know, we got such a struggle in our life trying to live the Christian life. So how do we find fulfillment in this life if you're always trying to do what's right and you can't quite make it? And uh, so we talked about how the Lord satisfies that thirst for acceptance from God and the hunger for approval. And that the key to uh, finding acceptance and approval from God. As the Lord said in John 6, believe in me. How did he put it? Uh, Something about hunger. It was, but I can't remember whether it was. uh, Whoops, Romans 6 isn't going to work. Yeah, I mean, yeah. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. So if if you're going to try to find approval by God by doing your works, by doing something that will impress and please him or whatever, they're going to find that you fall short. But if he sees us resting in Christ, uh, that's where he approves of us. That's where he wants us to be, is resting in Christ. And for anybody that's trusting in Christ, believing that the Lord has taken care of everything, you can know you're accepted by God, even though... You are a sinner, you know, like even though we sin, yet he accepts us because we're in Christ. And I did want to touch on something else kind of along those lines. You know, we talked a little bit about uh, keeping in view the reality that we're sinners. Mm -hmm. 
And I think sometimes that in the past for me, that's been really difficult because there's sometimes where I don't see that I've done a lot of sin for mm. the past day or two or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. yep. been nice to my kids and pet the dog and whatever else. <laughs> <clears throat> but, and so what I, what I was thinking was that we probably should add that it's not, it's not just about what I do, but the word of God is actually intended to bring truth into my heart. So it shows the reality of what things are like inside of me. And that means that all of my attitudes and my thoughts and so forth and desires are brought into the light by the word of God. It shows that my desires are, uh, as, as we know, our desires are often evil and that our thoughts are, even though we don't express our thoughts yet, if we're honest before the word of, before the Lord, uh, we can see that there is an immense amount of evil inside that isn't expressed in our actions or by our words, but it's still in there. And if we ever relaxed our guard, we know it would come out. That knowing or recognizing that evil that is inside of us, uh, I think is important. I think the word of God by bringing truth in our hearts, exposes that. And as I realize the evil that's inside of me, how it, it, it becomes all the more difficult to grasp how can God accept me or approve of me with that kind of a heart. But knowing that in Christ, there is that approval, there is that acceptance. And uh, that knowledge of God's acceptance in the face of the evil that's inside of me uh, brings that peace and joy and rest and fulfillment in life. This is is something I've been really, uh, I don't know if growing in or trying to grow in, pursuing after over the last, I don't know, six, eight months or so. And it has been really or rewarding I've been finding to have that. It's it's kind of like you were mentioned that there's that change once you get saved. The norm becomes that you're accepted by God, but sometimes you feel like you're not near and that and that's there for a while until you come back to God. What I feel like what I'm learning to do is grab hold of that baseline norm and keep that focus in front of me you keep that reality in front of me how are you like what is there a practical way that you do that or is this all like happening like in your head where you, i don't know like how can because for me like even right now it's kind of a struggle to keep that in view too how do i do that sometimes it'll be through reading the word you know sometimes you'll see some passage sometimes it'll be in prayer sometimes it'll be just kind of a pause or sometimes the evil, you know, like the evil sometimes pops up in your heart. Like you'll get some kind of a, a lustful desire uh, and it's there in your heart and you know you're supposed to squash it down, <laughs> which you can do. But the fact that it's there is a real problem because right. it it didn't come from outside. It came from inside. It's who you are. It's because it comes from deep down inside. That's That's who you are. 
how can we stand up before God at that kind of evil? And yet he loves me as one who has that kind of evil. So it's, it's uh, yeah, sometimes you get an evil desire comes up and it's just, instead of brushing that aside to acknowledge that, yeah, there it is, that's the, the evil that the Lord died to save me from. I think it's a learning process. I mean, I know what you're talking about, that there, that there's been a lot of times where I've really struggled to try to figure out how do I get that back in view again. And uh, I find that it's a learning process. There's, I learn how to sharpen my focus on what the truth is. Uh, sometimes I learn how to read the Word of God and let it expose the truth. I learn how to present it before the Lord in prayer. That's interesting. So presenting it before the Lord in prayer, how do you do that? How do you come before him and like try to pray as like a guilty sinner? You know what I mean? Like you, like say you've grown apathetic, which is a, a, a problem for some of my friends and even for me, even now it's like sometimes I just, I don't care, but I do care a little bit enough to like suffer, but I don't largely. And it's like, how do I, I'm grasping for, I don't know, inspiration, I guess, and to like be grounded again in the truth and knowing what's true and letting that rejuvenate me. But like, but I can't do it for some reason. Like there's just fog or whatever. And I think about praying, but I really just don't want to pray. Like I want to pray, but I, part of me doesn't want to pray because I think maybe because I feel like, like I, I what would I even say? How would I pray? You know, like, I mean, does it, that make it sounds sense? to me. Yeah, it does. It sounds to me and correct me if I'm wrong. It sounds to me like you're, you're trying to get to a place where you can enjoy that blessing in the Lord. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, that would, yeah, that makes sense. And that, I mean, like you are trying to get yourself in the position where you can see the beauty of the Lord. True. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> and, the, and the reality is almost staring you right in the face. Like you should be uh, rejoicing in what the Lord has done, but you're apathetic. And that, and that apathy is a, is a result of the evil in your heart. I mean, that's how can you be so apathetic towards the son of God coming into the world and dying for your sins. Like how can, but you do. Mm -hmm. That's there. <laughs> how can God love you who's so apathetic towards the son? I mean, the, the reality is almost staring you in the face, but you're trying to, it's almost sounds like you're trying to get rid of the apathy. Yeah. That's exactly what I'm trying to do. <laughs> yeah. It's more like you need to recognize the apathy and, and then take a look at God and say, wow, I'm a long ways away from where I ought to be. How can you, how can you receive me? How can you accept me as someone who's so apathetic? Hmm. And how does he? I mean, how, how Yeah, that's can a you? good question. <laughs> I, yeah, how, wait, am I supposed to answer that? I was interested to see how you would answer it. <laughs> I don't know how to answer it because it's like the answer is like, yeah, that's totally right. And I don't know, there's something calming about just for me just to think about, oh, yeah, just be honest. Like, okay, how can... 
like it's okay. But I, and, I don't know. But it's weird. How come I couldn't get that through my head? Like I don't know. <laughs> that's what I'm. That's what I'm. That's what I'm kind of driving at. Is that it is a learning process. It it takes time. I think it's important for us to recognize that this is what we want: is to be, to have that rest in the Lord, the joy. We want that, and we want to be in that position. So let's strive for it. It's not impossible to get to. It's getting to that. Getting to that position of being resting in the Lord is the heart of the gospel. He who believes in me shall never thirst. He who comes to me shall never hunger. Here I am, apathetic. How dare I stand before God? Well, because I've got this Savior who up and died for me. <laughs> and That's a pretty good reason, be- I guess. <laughs> <laughs> because he's died for me, apathetic sinners can stand before God and be accepted. Or maybe worse, apathetic believers mm. can stand before yeah, God okay, and be accepted. Can- how do how do we okay i feel like that that's a good point apathetic believers that sounds worse to me but based on the gospel like is there a difference like should there be a difference why does it sound yeah. worse to me because a believer is is supposed to believe i mean he's he's he knows what is true and so it only makes sense for him to believe and be uh, zealous in love with the lord for an unbeliever they don't know the lord so yeah, it, it is worse for a believer to be apathetic. Hmm. Great. <laughs> huh. But you were mentioning that it it seems to bring some peace to just be on just be honest about it. Yeah. Yeah, because. Well, what I meant by that, I guess, is when I realized once again, like the thousand other times I've had to realize this, is you're you're absolutely right. I am trying to gain a position that I cannot gain. And if anyone tells me that I'm doing that, it's like, no, I'm not. But like when you explain, when I like examine what I've done and like kind of you describe it like, no, that's exactly what I'm doing. It's like, oh, that's an impossible to do in the in the position I am. It's not impossible as in like, it's not impossible in the sense that I'm not strong enough. Like it's impossible totally. Like strength has nothing to do with it. Right. Like that's how out of reach it is. And it's like, oh, and then you're like, well, what else can I turn to? And then, oh, Jesus, like that's why he he died for sinners. So that's that's part of what I'm driving at is that you recognize it's not, not that it's impossible because you're lacking a strength at the moment. You're recognizing that it's impossible because of basically who you are. Yeah. Yeah, and true. That's what we're learning. Uh, that's what the Word of God shows us: is that this sin inside of our heart it define it is who we are, and so to overcome it is impossible. Because how do I change who I am at the core mm. of who I am? Mm. And so for me, it is becoming absolute necessity. Let the Lord be my savior because I can't, it's just, it's just not possible for me to get in a position where I can have the favor of God. I I can't, there's there's no hope. Hmm. And the funny thing is, is that that's, 
that's the heart of the gospel, is it not? You know, we're sinners and the Lord is our Savior. That's, yeah, it is, but it just rings differently when you think about it through that context, you know? All right. Yeah, that's true. Believe me. Uh, <laughs> it's, Man, why do we lose... Why is it so easy to lose sight of that? I don't... Like, why do we have to lose sight of that? Or why do I have to? I'll just put it on myself. Why do I have to lose sight of that constantly over and over again? You know? I'm I'm not sure that... But that's what's made me realize that it's... That re- keeping that sight, keeping that view is... Uh, a goal, something that I work toward, or it's something that I continue to learn how to keep my eyes on there. It's it's a whole new life. Hmm. It's not just a a new position. It's a whole new life. You've got a whole new goal of trying to uh, not be deceived by my good works, but to recognize the reality of the sin that's in my heart. And the sin that will be there until the, the soul flesh is done away with. And, and the thing is, is that even though I, I live in this sinful flesh and I keep on failing, God is okay with that because his son has taken care of the problem. I mean, it's where his son has dealt with that problem of me not being acceptable. Uh, the Lord Jesus has made me accepted before God. So what else is there to do then? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like trying to think of where to... <laughs> what else is there to do? Well, there's there's two things. Uh, in Timothy and in Titus, you'll see Paul, I forget which one, I think Second Timothy, maybe, I don't remember which one, but he tells either Timothy or Titus to exhort the believers to be zealous for good works, you know, to do things that benefit other people. And so, and I don't think we need to dissect that too much because that's, personally, I think that's fairly evident. I don't know. What do you think? Of like doing good things or like. Yeah. Um, I guess I don't know what you're thinking. Like it just, I don't know. Well, like if I told you that you need to, uh, now that you rest in the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to be zealous to be doing good works. Would you know what that was talking about? Yeah, I guess, well, I don't know. What I think of, I'll tell you what I, what I think of is just, I don't know, just, I, I don't know what I think of doing good works. How helping the old lady across the street or yeah, yeah, sure. helping your neighbor out or encouraging a friend or whatever. Yeah, I'll, Right. And, Yep, exactly, those those kinds of good works. Uh, but the other thing from good works is to glorify God. That's what we need to do, which is why we took this long rabbit trail in the first place. <laughs> I mean, how, how can you glorify God if you're not resting in him? <laughs> oh, right. Is there anything else besides resting in him? Good question. Uh, I think that's a good starting point. Resting in him is a good starting point? Right, right, yeah. Yeah. Because, I don't know, I hear people talking all the time, like everything is for, you know, for his glory, glory this, glory that. And, like, I'm not 
Well, I almost don't know what everyone means by that because, uh, you know, that was going to be my question: is like, what do you? Uh, mean? What does it mean to glorify God? Right. Yeah. That. So maybe, what does it mean? Well, what is it? Do we need to talk at all about uh, what people commonly say it or think it means? Like, what is our natural tendency, or should we just jump into what it actually means? Uh, let's just jump into what it actually means because then maybe that would, you know, how they. Uh, so I heard this analogy today that I've heard for a long time. You know how they like know a counterfeit bill from a real one? Like the people who are supposed to sure. analyze that kind of stuff is they just yeah. steady the real one because there's so many fake ones. It's like I'd get, it's exhausting even. So we just steady the real one. And then when we see a fake one, we know it. Why? Because we know what the real one looks like. So I don't know. Okay. I'm should, good. Yeah. I'm good with that. The, that. uh, it, it's just been a, I don't know, maybe a month and a half ago or something. But anyhow, we go to this Bible study, and the guy was talking about what it means to glorify God, and he had some excellent insights. Do tell. Oh, I can't wait. (laughs) John 12 is where it starts. Uh, Currently turning to John 12. Well, maybe we should back up all the way up to 11, because I think that's where it first so, uh, John chapter 11 is that chapter where Lazarus died and then Jesus raised him from the dead. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so at the beginning of the chapter, it talks, you know, about how Lazarus became sick. And then in verse three, it says that the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, behold, he, he who you love is sick. And when Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So, Which verse is that in again? That's uh, John 11, verse 4. Okay. This is one of the few verses that I know of, maybe the only verse where it talks about God looking for his own glory or the Lord Jesus looking for glory. Like this is an event that he says, this is this event is for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it, like he wanted to be glorified. Hmm. And, it, and that's kind of unique. Most of the time you don't see it like that. And so then the question is, well, why does he want himself glorified? Because that can almost seem narcissistic or something. Right. And if you follow through the chapter, uh, you see him raise Lazarus from the dead. And so you begin to understand that how this sickness then uh, attributed glory to God. I mean, he he raised Lazarus from the dead. Everybody's like way impressed. And verse at the end after he raised, well, let's let's go to uh, verse 41. So Jesus is standing outside the tomb. Actually, we do verse 40. That works out great. I didn't know that verse. Anyhow, verse 40, Jesus said to her, did I not say that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Okay, so here's the glorification part. So then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me, but because of the people that are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. And then he went on to raise Lazarus from the dead. So we see that his motive in this whole thing is that they would come to believe in him. 
And then verse 45, then many of the Jews who had come to Mary, who had seen the things that Jesus did, believed in him. But some, but some went the way of the Pharisees and told them the things that Jesus did. So he was glorified at the point that he raised Lazarus from the dead. As a result of that glorification, people came to believe on him. And it seems like that was his end goal, was that people might come to believe in him. So if we put that together, our conclusion has to be that the purpose for God being glorified is so that people will come to believe in him. And that's... And so then let's, let's pause for a second then and think about what actually took place here. You got these people that are standing around the tomb. They got this Jesus of Nazareth comes up and he wants the stone rolled away, which is very shocking. You know, you don't just on, you know, just open a yeah. coffin of a guy. Roll probably stinks. For, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, they don't know what to think of Jesus. He's been down to Jerusalem a couple times and there's lots of rumors about him and there, there's a lot of uncertainty. Some people think he's a good man. Some people think that he is deceiving people, that he's a false teacher. And then he raises Lazarus from the dead. And these people are like, no, wait a second. That kind of answers all questions. This man is from God. And everything that he has said about himself of having come from God is true, clearly. So by Jesus raising the dead, it, he exposed himself or revealed himself to these people in a new way that they hadn't seen before that made them recognize that he was more than just a man, but that he was a man sent from God and came from God. Obviously, they recognize that because it says they believed in him. Hmm. So... Christ's glorification was a revealing of who he was to the people around him. It, sometimes I think we, at least I tend to think to glorify God. I, I have in my mind this vision of his bright shining. And so if I'm going to glorify God, I'm going to add to that bright shining so that he shines a little brighter. Right, yeah. As, that seems to be a, a bit different than what we're seeing here. And it almost seems like kind of a childish view, like how can I add? It's not like I have any brightness to give God. If you stick me in a dark room, the room's going to stay dark. It's not going to lighten because I'm in there. I mean, it's <laughs> the facts of life. Right. I can't add to his brightness. But what we're seeing here is that the Lord Jesus becomes his power, not just his power, but his relationship to God. Because he, he starts out and he prays, Father, I know you hear me. I just want everybody else to know that you hear me too so that they realize that what happens here isn't just me, but it's you and me. They, they see his relationship to the Father in such a way that they had never seen before and nobody had ever told them. And that's a whole new view. It's who Jesus is being revealed. And I'm telling you, the more you reveal Jesus, the more glorious he appears to us. Hmm. Just because of who he is. I mean, he's he is so righteous and holy. The clearer I see him, the more glorious he is to me. So to glorify God is not to add to his glory, but to make his 
the beauty of his character known to the people who can't couldn't see it before. So maybe mm. to the people who couldn't see it before, it looks like I added to his glory, but that's not the case. It's really that they come to see him a little clearer than what they saw before. And why does God want people to see him all the more clearly? Well, so they come to believe in him. And the chief priests recognize that. It says in verse 47, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council. They said, what shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. <laughs> <laughs> if only. If True. Only. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, I guess the following story in chapter 12 is when Mary took that uh, costly perfume and wiped his feet with her hair with that. And the whole house was with the fragrance of oil. So you can see how she in her appreciation for what the Lord has done for her, she is bestowing on him great honor. And it really shocks the people around. They're like, well, how could they, How could she waste on him to such a degree? But if we pause and think about it, like how in the world did he become so valuable to her? Why does she love him so much? And we know a little bit, uh, I think this is Mary Magdalene. It might not be, but it's evident. Or I, I think my guess would be that she found that the Lord Jesus would make her accepted before God. And the fact that he would do that for her, uh, what wouldn't she do for him? So by her actions of adoration, she... If you look closely, if you ponder about what she does, I mean, it, it, uh, it's a glorification of him. And chapter 12 goes on as he goes into Jerusalem and people begin to see who he is and they begin to shout out that this is the Messiah. And then at the end of chapter 12, uh, well, not quite the end, I guess in verse 20, it says there were certain Greeks among those who came to worship at the feast, and they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and they asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn Andrew and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves this life will lose it, and he who hates this life in this world will keep it for anyone, for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, that where I am my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. And now my soul is troubled, but what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this very purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and I will glorify it again. The people who stood by heard it and said that it thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. And this he said, signifying by what death he would die. In another passage, it talks about the Son of Man being glorified. In this passage, 
how, I mean, in, in, in uh, chapter 11, the Son of Man was glorified by demonstrating that the Father was with him as he raised Lazarus from the dead. In this passage, when he talks about the Son of Man being glorified, what's the event he's talking about? Um, him going to the cross. Right. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies. I mean, he's using that metaphor to talk about himself dying. And then he talks about the hour that he's come to. And he says, Father, glorify your name. And and then talks about himself being lifted up from the earth. So it's, yeah, the event is him going to the cross. How does a cross glorify God? Because on the cross, that's when he was shamed the most. That's when... People shook their fists against God. That's when the sun went dark. I mean, where is the glory? Except for when we look back on it, where do we most clearly see the character of God as far as his righteousness, his mercy, and his love towards us and his grace? There. There. Those Gentiles came up to him and they said, we want to see Jesus. And Jesus is like, well... You can look me in the face, that ain't going to do you much good. You just wait till you see me on the cross, then see what you Gentiles think about me. Wait till you see what I, who I am as I go to the cross bearing your sins. That was when he was glorified. That was when we saw who he was, we as Gentiles, we saw who he was. And there's been a few of us that have believed as a result of that. So the, the glorification of God is the revelation of his character to people who couldn't quite see it so clearly before, which kind of puts a whole different spin on if I'm going to try to glorify God, how do I do that? Well, it's, it's yeah. not by grabbing a flashlight and <laughs> tossing it up into the throne. You know, I'm not going to, not by adding light. It's by revealing his character to people who don't quite see it as clearly. That might be by sharing the gospel. It might be by doing good works. It might be by showing adoration for him, although people might not understand that as clearly. Yeah, I was going to say, when I was younger, you know, I always thought it was really cringy when people would say for his glory and all this stuff and talk about the glory of God and all that and whatever. And I'm like, what? And even now still, like, I think I understand a little bit better in light of, like, like of this, but still it like, like, how is that like helpful to other, just to like, to say you want to, like God gets the glory. That's something a lot of sports guys say. And a lot of people who are very skilled say all the glory goes to God. And my mind goes like, even as a, like a believer, my mind is like, I like, but you have the skill, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and, and so what do you mean? All glory goes to God, and of course, I understand. Like God gives you the skill, but what are they trying? What are they driving at? Like, what's the point? It, other than them just trying to promote that they're re- religious, you know? Like, does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, I hear so you. So, how do you? So practically, how do you <laughs> do that? Like, I don't want to. Because once again, I've heard people say like they like I've heard people like they're embarrassed about like Christianity and stuff because it just sounds so cringy and cheesy. It's like, and it's not like just these terms and we don't even know what they mean. And like, you know, and like, there's always, there's a, there's that weird cheesy Christian who 
smiles a lot and says something about glorifying God a lot. And uh, <laughs> he's makes me uncomfortable to be around because he's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I can resonate with that. The, in part because I don't know, you know, like when I do really well, how do I take what I've done really well and take the glory from that and push it towards God? It's right a little tough. And I was kind of looking up some different passages that talk about glorifying God. And there's a few in the Psalms, not quite as many as I expected, but there's a few in the Psalms. And the impression I get is that the psalmist is calling for people to verbalize and express the the goodness and the character of God. Uh, t- basically saying, tell other people about what God has done for you. Yeah. And in his mind, that was glorifying God. That's something I noticed too, because I, I used to read in the Psalms a ton, but it was so specific. I could really get behind him when he said the Lord is good because then he explained specifically how it wasn't this, just this vague oh God is so good isn't he it's like there, you know like there's more to it like he explained specifically like what the Lord had done for him and I could always really resonate with it yeah yeah it's, it's a, something you yeah. can grab a hold of yeah the interesting thing with your question though about like how do we practically glorify God is that if you continue into chapter 13 You'll get to another paragraph, um, verse 31, and he's referencing Judas. When Judas had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. And if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him immediately. So the verse is like packed with the glory of God there. Mm-hmm. Now, the son, of glory. now the Son of Man is glorified. In what sense? The sense that uh, has to do with Judas, because right beforehand you, you've got the question of of which one will betray him, and the disciples are trying to figure this out. And then one of them asked Jesus, "You know, who is it?" And Jesus said, "Well, it's the one that I give the piece of bread to." And then he gives it to Judas, and then Judas goes out, and Jesus says, "Now the Son of Man is glorified." And it's curious how that leads to the glorification of the Son of Man. Yeah. Yeah, right before all of that takes place, we've got that really interesting passage about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. It starts clear back at the beginning of the chapter, you know, like in verse 3. Well, verse verse 2, the supper being ended, the devil already have put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. So John brings to our attention that Judas is there with the disciples and his plan is to betray Jesus. It's The idea is already in his mind. He's already settled on it. And so Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from the supper laid aside his garments, and took a towel and girded himself. This is a, a real, as many have pointed out, this is a real humbling of the Lord Jesus to take the place of a servant to go wash the disciples' feet. And he, it's even symbolized in how his attire, how he lays aside his nor- normal 
clothing and he takes on this, I don't know, whatever towel around the waist or whatever it was and started to wash their feet. And the symbolism kind of, rem or his, his actions and remind us a little bit of what took place, you know, when he laid aside his heavenly garments, so to speak, and took on a human flesh and came down to this earth. You know, it's that same kind of humility. And talks about him coming up to Simon and said, and Simon Peter, he wants to know why the Lord is washing his feet. And the Lord says, well, you don't, you don't understand, but let's go through with this. And Peter's like, I don't want to. That's too backwards in his mind to have his Lord washing his feet. It just, it doesn't work. But Jesus said, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. This is, this is something that is necessary that the Lord needs to take that humble position so that Peter can have fellowship with the Lord. And so Peter's like, well, if it's fellowship, and I don't just want fellowship for my feet. I mean, let's wash the whole, I want to get all washed. And Jesus says to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. So this is talking, when you start talking about bathed, then we understand that he's referencing being saved. You've been washed from your sin, but there's a need now to wash your feet. And then he says, and we'll dig into that a little bit later about what he meant by that. But he continues on. He says, you, you're bathed. You only need to wash your feet. We don't need to do a full, a full scrub-a-dub-dub. -dub. It's just a foot washing here. You're clean. And he says, you are clean, but not all of you because he knew who would betray him. So he said, you're not all clean. So he said, Judas, he knew. Again, so our attention is drawn back to Judas, the one that was going to betray him. And Jesus knew full well who he was and what he was doing. And, uh, and he goes ahead and washes his feet and then explains to him, look, I'm, I am your Lord and teacher. I have washed your feet. You also ought to wash one another's feet which ran contrary to what the disciples thought about because this would be about the time that they were arguing about which one would be the greatest. And he's showing them, no, you've got to follow my pattern. You've got to be like a servant taking care of the, the dirt on a, a fellow believer's feet so that you can have good fellowship. And then he talks about how the script, he says he's doing these things or he says in verse 18, I do not speak of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but, this, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes that when it comes to pass, you may believe that I'm he. Uh, so he's, again, drawing our attention to the point that he has even washed the feet of Judas, um, making the way clear for Judas to have fellowship with him. But Judas left and went out to go betray him. And wait, how did wait, wait rewind real quick? How did he um, make a way for Judas again? Well, he washed his feet, you know. So, like, the Lord told Peter, like, you have to have your feet washed in order to have any part with me or any. And I take, I take that to mean to have any kind of fellowship with me, you need to have your feet washed. And. If, if salvation is like a bath where you're washing the dirt off your entire body, then 
washing your feet is going to be removing your uh, daily sins, let's shall we say, you know, like as a believer, say I'm apathetic, hypothetically speaking. Uh, <laughs> how can you have fellowship with the Lord if you're apathetic? Well, from my experience, um, it's very difficult. So we need the apathy removed. And it it does you no good for somebody to come up to you as, as your mentor, let's say, and say to you, Martin, mm -hmm. you need to get rid of that apathy. It's, yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we got somebody that's coming up to you that's greater than you are, and he's telling you what you need to do that oftentimes that doesn't really help much. It's kind of like, well, I knew I needed to get rid of the apathy. That's not helping me. What you need is somebody to come up yeah. to you and say, hey, you know, you've got apathy here because that's who you are and the Lord loves you. And then all of a sudden it's like, like I think you said it yourself. I think you said like the apathy is like it, it doesn't matter anymore. I mean, it's like the laying it out before the Lord, it's it ceases to become a problem. It's <laughs> yeah, it's really it is weird. weird. And then yeah, and then it goes. And away. then you got fellowship. <laughs> yeah. Now I take that to be what he's talking about when he talks about washing the feet. So he he would wash the feet even of Judas, so that there was nothing hindering Judas from even though Judas had in his heart the intent to betray him. Jesus was willing to wash his feet so that there would be nothing to keep Judas from having fellowship with the Lord. Hmm. And But if we read on, we find that Judas rejected he that walks away. and walked away. Now, let me ask you, when you look at what the Lord did here with washing the feet and so forth, and even reaching down to Judas and washing his feet to make the way open for him to have fellowship, would you say the Lord was glorious in this? Oh, yeah. Now he says the Son of Man is glorified. That's what this guy showed me at the Bible study. I was like, mind blown. <laughs> oh. oh, yeah, that's crazy. Now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him because what the Son of Man is doing is not on his own. He's with God. God is with him. So him reaching down to Judas, not actually reaching down from where he was, he was reaching up to Judas' feet, I guess. I mean, when you wash somebody's feet, you're kind of down lower and you're reaching up to reach your feet. I, I'll have to process that one. That's that's a lot to put my mind around. But anyhow, him, his position and reaching over to watching Judas, to washing Judas's feet is with all of the purpose and heart of God, like he's doing exactly what God wants and the way that God wants it done. And it's the Son of Man is glorified and... And we see that glory to the Son, and we recognize that that is actually the glory of God. I mean, that is who God is. And so if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him immediately. So he's, I think he's talking there, about, again, about Jesus going to the cross. God will glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Where that ultimate display of the Lord humbling himself and being lifted up to bear our sins. That's kind of a crazy thought. He was lifted up to bear our sins. Usually you'd think you'd have to reach down to be, to lift, to pick up our sins. But no, he was lifted up to bear our sins. But I, I might be getting a little bit crazy there. 
Do you know what that means? Is it referencing kind of what happened here with the washing of their feet or whatever? Uh, I'm not following your question. Like to lift, he was lifted up. Oh. You, you were saying that's kind of strange because if sin is below yeah, you. Yeah, so like, you know. And, you know, obviously being lifted up speaks about him going on the cross. And then, yeah. so he got lifted oh, up yeah. and to bear our sins Duh. on the cross. Which, if you're getting lifted up, that means you were down lower to start out with. But I might be reading too much into this. This is kind of, I'd have to, I don't know. <laughs> too much talking, Valid. not enough thinking. <laughs> now, watch what he says here. Little child, little, he says in verse 33, after talking about this glorification and so forth, he says, little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. So I say to you. So things are changing. He's going to leave them. And so he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. You also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He must, when he talks about this loving one another, he must be talking about his example of washing the disciples' feet. To love one another in that way, where, where somebody is willing to come to me in my struggle with my apathy, and they're going to say to me, don't fight it, man. It's who you are. <laughs> and they're, they're going to say, the Lord's got you covered. Yeah, I mean, you can rest in him. You don't, have to, you don't have to get rid of that apathy. He's already taken care of it. And wash my feet of that apathy so that I can get back into that fellowship with the Lord. That's love. That's how we glorify God is by refreshing each other in that that wonderful truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus having taken care of my sin and having taken care of your sin and encouraging and building each other up in that that glorif that's glorifying God in a in a very real way by loving one another and then of course there's the glorifying God through sharing the gospel to the lost you know and cuz think about it when when I when I come to wash your feet, let's say, what am I doing? I'm going to show you the character of God with regards to your sin. How does he, how does he view your sin? Well, he's, he's taking care of it. His mercy is that great. His love is that great. Like that sin does not put him off. He's, he still brings you in close. So bringing that view of God's character back to your into your vision, back to your memory, back to your heart. I'm glorifying God to you, or you're glorifying God to me. And it's the most loving thing that we can do. Hmm. Does that answer the question about practical? Um. Yeah, but it raises okay. another one too. <laughs> like... Where's the line that, like, it sounds like, I think of Romans 5, shall we go on sinning that grace may increase, though? Like, how do you, I don't know, how does that play into it? Because it feels kind of off, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. on one side, it's difficult to, like, on, on the practical everyday 
living type of thing. Like if somebody's actively, I don't know, doing something that's hurting themselves yeah, and so others. Like how do you, do you be the guy that, hey, don't worry about it. Don't try to stop. Like the Lord's got you covered. Like how does it affect the, you know what I'm saying? When it comes down to practical things where they're very much affecting themselves, but others too. Do, is there a difference? Is there a different response? Like how, how can I glorify God in that situation or other situations. So like you're that. talking about a situation where somebody is, uh, well, let's say like Judas Iscariot. There's somebody like Judas Iscariot where they've got this uh, inward attitude that is flat out wrong. I mean, he's he's Judas was wanting to betray the Lord, and I'm not saying that we got other friends that want to do the same kind of thing, but they they're living a way that isn't right. And uh, they don't seem to want to relinquish it, or is that what we're is that what we're, who kind of people we're talking about? Yeah, yeah, yep. And and I guess that would look different. Situate like maybe it doesn't look like a rebellion, and maybe they don't think it's rebellion themselves. Say so they they've like grabbed on to. Um, a belief system that's that is like affecting their actions and they're actually harmful to people but they're convinced that what they're doing is right but it's actually wrong or that would be one scenario or the other scenario where they're yeah they are like totally like they just don't they don't care i mean they yeah they don't care they know it's wrong but they so don't. let's let's go with the first one where people who they've grabbed onto something and they're doing it and it's harmful to other. And I've, I've seen this actually happen. Like, uh, yeah. Like, like with, with teach, like even with Bible teachers or like people in evangelism, like use like in those, in ministries or like parents. In yeah. Homes like they'll or, you tell know, you that or, if you're going to raise your kids properly, you should be homeschooling your kids type of thing. And you're right. Yeah. Not that homeschooling kids is a bad thing, but no, yeah. I was gonna say I'm probably one of those. I'm not a parent, but, but yeah. like you can, <laughs> you can take that good thing of homeschooling and, and by forcing it on people, you can cause them damage. Especially if they're yeah, uh, yeah. So yeah, so that kind of thing where they believe one thing, but they don't recognize that what they're doing is actually damaging. So. Uh, Boy, and trying to describe that problem, and I lost where I was going to go with that. It was well, like you were saying, to glorify the Lord or earlier was like to hey, the, yes, here's your issue. Like for me, you're you're apathetic, and that's part of you that is you. But the Lord's okay with it. Like He's removed that from you. You don't have to worry about it because it's impossible. And I was like, well, what about a situation? I suppose that'd be like Peter. Peter said, hey. Yeah, I don't need you washing my feet. Oh, well, it would wait, it would be somebody you who's you know you're you're saying, you know, you're you're apathetic there, and if your response was, uh, to deny that you're apathetic, no, I'm not apathetic. I'm I'm just struggling with it. I'm just I'm just fighting with it. I'm just trying to. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's too real. <laughs> then 
how can we deal with the problem if you're not willing to acknowledge that it is a problem? And once once you hit the point where you said it's it's not just that there's a lack of strength on my part, but that there is an impossibility here. I mean, this comes from inside. Once you hit that point, now we can deal with the problem. But until you hit that, until you're until you're ready to say uh, this is an inherent problem. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Until you're really ready to own the problem, you're not going to be willing for somebody to come up and try to wash your feet. And the washing of the feet is somebody coming up and not like telling you to be better, but hey, the Lord's got you covered. And you'll be like, what do you mean the Lord's got me covered? I mean, this, yeah, I know, you know, I know he's got me covered, but just a few this minutes here and I'll change. get this taken care yeah. of myself. So it's almost impossible to really encourage somebody in the Lord's grace to them when they're denying that they need the grace. I mean, when they, they don't think they have a problem. Hmm. It doesn't seem like when I'm in that position, it doesn't seem like I'm denying his yeah. grace, though. Like, that's exactly what's happening, but I just... No, because if, if you could at least for me, it. like, I would, I feel that I'm doing fine. I mean, I'm I'm already in the grace of God. Just yeah. struggling a little. I'm just struggling a little. <laughs> a and then the other kind of person, yeah. And then the other kind of person that we were talking about was the one that who, you know, I'm apathetic, but so what? You know, God loves me anyhow, so I'm, you know, just gonna be, just gonna stay the way I am. And that's a little more like what Judas was. I mean, the Lord is saying, "Hey, you got a problem." Judas is like, "Yeah, I know you. I want to betray you, but you know that's the way I am. That's the way it is. That's the way it's going to be. And I'm going to get my thirty pieces of silver and call her good." You know. <laughs> and even though he presented to Judas, "Here's the mercy of God," Judas left and went his own way. And I, I think I've seen that before, where people know what they're doing is wrong. And they, they're willing to admit it and they know of the mercy of God and they say, well, I just want to keep on doing this for whatever reason. And they recognized that that meant an end to the friendship more or less or it was really going to damage your friendship. You could only be friends at a surface level. They recognized that mm. and they said, well, it is what it is. And I guess you see that sometimes with kids and families, like if they they know their parents aren't going to like what they're doing, they know that if they leave off what they're doing, their parents will receive them and their parents offer to them that that uh, acceptance if only they will turn and they say, well, it's going to cost me my relationship with my parents, but I'm going to go on and do it. And when... Yeah, I've seen, yeah, I've had friendships that, not a lot, but a couple where that's literally happened too. And so if you got somebody that flaunts it and says, well, I know God's mercy, all I got to do is ask for forgiveness, I'll be good to go, and they just go off in their sin. I mean, that's, there clearly is no fellowship with God there, and there's no fellowship with other believers. I mean, there, there's nothing you can do for them. It It says that the Lord... You know, he received the piece of bread. I mean, the piece of bread was a indication. 
that the Lord wanted fellowship with Judas. And so Judas, in verse 30, having received the piece of bread, he went out immediately and it was night. I mean, <laughs> that last phrase there, John drops in there, and I think it was just the visual. You know, that's that's the reality. As <laughs> somebody who flaunts their sin, they're going to go out and do it, and they go out into the night. I mean, very in a spiritual sense, but very real. But the Lord doesn't... See, I hear some believers talking about how we need to, like, challenge each other and rebuke each other and all this stuff and, like, get each other to do what's right. Is there a place for that? Or, but Because the Lord doesn't seem to have done that in this position. He just lets him go. It's like, here, I, I, have, like, I want to have fellowship with you. There's, like, mercy for you. And it's not that... But Judas just walks away. I think that what the Lord wants us to urge each other in... I want to find some of the verses. Let's see. Okay, that is in Titus. Okay, Titus 3 is a good one. Titus 3, verse 8. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. And then at the end of the chapter... In verse 14, he says, Let our people also learn to maintain good works and meet urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful. This is what Paul is urging them. He's not getting after them that they need to turn away from their sin, although he does do that. But what he's really trying to encourage them in doing is to be doing good works towards other people. I think... If we as believers, if we were, if we could refresh each other, if we could love one another by refreshing each other in the grace that we have in the Lord Jesus, and then encourage and exhort one another to be active in doing good things for other people. I think... uh, I can't I, I can't imagine what it would be like for the church to have people who are doing this all the time. I mean it would it would transform things. Probably literally. Yeah, probably literally. Another passage that talks about glory is in 2 Corinthians and uh, Paul talks about his ministry before the Lord, his service to the Lord and it seems that he sums it up in just a few words 2 Corinthians 2, he says now verse 14, he says now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one the aroma of death leading to death and the other the aroma of life leading to life. Paul viewed ministry to God as being the fragrance of Christ among those who are, both among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. The fragrance of Christ is that aroma, it's that same character as the Lord Jesus being so if I'm living like the Lord Jesus towards people who are being saved that's like that foot washing thing that we were talking about 
And if I'm mm-hmm. living like the Lord Jesus towards those who are being lost, that's the preaching of the gospel and invitation to come to the Lord. Mm-hmm. That is, that that lifestyle is a fragrance of Christ to who? To God. We are mm-hmm. to God the fragrance of Christ. It's like God is looking over the affairs of mankind and he sees these people living like the Lord Jesus towards one another and their love for one another as he loved them. And reaching out to the lost, inviting them to come to God, glorifying God by sharing the gospel. That is a fragrance of Christ to God. I kind of like that view, you know, that what we do is to God, it's something sweet, it's something special, it's something that warms his heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, okay. That'd be it. Good stuff. Yeah, on that note, I think we're going to wrap it up. So, good stuff. Been real. Um, May God receive the glory. Yeah. For real. <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> <laughs>